Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture is from the book of Exodus, chapter 19, verses 4 through 8. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my commandment, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all of the words that the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Good morning. Great to be here today. Uh, I do have a beard, and I am a pastor, but my name is not Steve, okay? That's about the only things we have in common, other than we're the same age. I decided to take a little early, uh, earlier retirement than Steve did, but I'm really happy to, to be filling in today while he is enjoying his, uh, his family. You know, one of our country's most beloved presidents was Abraham Lincoln. He had the great misfortune of being at the helm of our nation during one of its most troubled times. The, the once United States had split into two, and the armies of the North and the South were waging an incessant war that claimed more lives, the lives of more people, than all of the other wars that, uh, that we've had where people have died since. In the middle of the week, Lincoln did what he often did during those war days, and that is he found refuge at a Presbyterian church in Washington, D.C. He went there with an aide. He sat with his stovepipe hat in his lap. He tried hard not to interrupt the, the meeting by sitting off to the side near the preacher's study. The minister opened up the scriptures and taught from God's word. And when he finished, the president stood quietly, straightened his coat, took his hat in his hand, and began to leave. His aide stopped him and, and asked, what did you think of the sermon, Mr. President? He said, well, I thought the sermon was carefully thought through, eloquently delivered. The aide then said, so you thought it was a great sermon? Lincoln replied, no, I thought he failed. He did not ask something great of us. In the midst of his turmoil, even Lincoln understood that when you listen to God and you honestly want to hear from God, you should expect that the Lord will call you to something grand and lofty. We should expect God to challenge us, to call us to something higher than ourselves. But the preacher Lincoln listened to on that day failed. He failed to challenge him. He failed to ask something great of the president and of all the others present. Now, in our scripture reading today that, that uh, Bruce read for us, Moses is the preacher. The Israelites are the congregation, and they're gathered to listen to a message from God. 
And the message that God is telling them is that he has brought them up out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He doesn't have to remind them of the plagues that crippled the Egyptians. He doesn't have to tell them of the parting of the Red Sea. He doesn't have to tell them of the drowning of Egypt's mighty army in the sea. All he has to say is what you see here. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You see, that's the message. But then God asked them to do something great. God asked them for a commitment. He asked them to stand up and to pledge their loyalty to him. Here's what he says next. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God speaks to this new generation of Israelites, and he tells them he's wanting something special for them. He wants to create a relationship with them, a relationship that promises even greater rewards than anything that they've ever experienced before. God is offering to make them his holy nation, his kingdom of priests, his treasured possession. No other nation on the face of the earth was ever offered what he was offering them at that moment. But there was a catch. They had to accept his offer. I want you to notice the word if in God's proposal. We're going to put it up here on the screen. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possessions if you're willing to accept what I'm offering. You'll have everything that I can give. God was calling them to something great. God was calling them to stand up and make a commitment. Now, I got to asking myself, why would God do that? Why ask the Israelites to make this verbal commitment to him? I mean, hadn't the Israelites followed Moses for the past month and a half? Hadn't they spent nearly 50 days in the desert, depending on God for their food and water? Hadn't they walked through the, the Red Sea and through the desert following a, a pillar, a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night as God guided them to this mountain? Wasn't that enough? Well, apparently not. You see, this was not a casual relationship that God was asking of Israel. And it's not a casual relationship that God is asking of us. This was a lifetime commitment. And this lifetime commitment called for a physical declaration of their intention to accept. God's always been big on that sort of thing. In fact, you know, there's a biblical word for that kind of action. It's called making a vow or a covenant. A covenant was when someone deliberately dedicated or set apart something for God. 
A covenant is more than just a simple promise. People break promises all the time. But when someone makes a covenant vow to God, God expected them to keep it. A covenant vow is a commitment to have a special relationship with God. I think marriages are an excellent example of the nature of covenant vows. When a man and a woman exchange vows, they are said to be making a covenant. Their vows are a dedication to a special relationship that no one else can take part in. They've become dedicated to one another. But some people might ask, especially today, why not just live together? Why go through all the hassle of a public ceremony? I mean, they love each other, right? Isn't that enough? Well, apparently not. As Christians, our wedding vows are declarations of what we intend and of what we believe. And they are declarations that we make in the presence of God. And our marriage vows, we are dedicating and declaring our intention to make a special lifelong commitment to that one person that's standing there beside us. And that's what God was asking of Israel at the base of his mountain. He was asking for a lifelong commitment from Israel. And friends, we've been called to something great as well. This sermon that I'm giving isn't for the Israelites. It's for us today. Because we too have been called to make a commitment to God through Jesus Christ. Now for the Israelites... They made their commitment at the foot of Mount Sinai. And for us Christians, it takes place at the foot of Mount Calvary. According to Romans chapter 6, God's call to that commitment really began at our baptism. Let's look at those verses in, in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were also baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him, like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who died has been freed from sin. When we were buried in the waters of Christian baptism, we or our parents for us were making a declaration to God. We were committing ourselves to die to our past. And then when we rose up from that watery grave, we were resurrected to new life. Moses asked the Jewish nation to make a commitment to God at the foot of Mount Sinai. And when you became a Christian, at whatever age that was, you made a commitment at the foot of Mount Calvary to a unique relationship with God. And it's that relationship that makes all the difference in our lives. 
There was a young boy one time that came up to his, his mother one evening. Uh, we had two boys, and I can just see one of our two boys when they were young uh, coming up with a scheme just like this. And, and this young boy handed his mother a piece of paper, and on that paper he had made the following list. He wrote down, for cutting the grass, $5. You know where this is going, don't you? For cleaning my room, $1. For going to the store for you, 50 cents. Babysitting my kid brother while you went shopping, 25 cents. Taking out the garbage, $1. For getting a good report card, $5. For raking the yard, $2. And at the bottom it said, total that you owe me, $14.75. His mother looked at him for a moment, and then she picked up the pen, and she turned the paper over, and she wrote down the following words. For the nine months that I carried you while you were growing inside of me, no charge. For all the nights that I've sat up with you, doctoring and praying for you, no charge. For all the trying times and all the tears that you've caused through the years, no charge. For all the nights that were filled with dread and for the worries that I knew were coming, no charge. For the toys, the food, the clothes, even wiping your nose, no charge. Then she wrote, son, when you add it all up, the cost of my love for you is no charge. Then the mother handed the paper back to her son and and when the boy finished reading what his mother had written, there were, of course, big tears in his eyes, and he looked straight at his mother, and he said, Mom, I love you. And then he took the pen, and in great big letters, he wrote the words, Paid in full. You see, that's the value of our relationship with Jesus. That relationship that has been paid in full, not by anything we've done, but by everything that Christ has done for us. We didn't gain salvation because we earned it, but it was because we made that commitment to making God our Father by accepting his free gift of salvation. You know, I, I talked earlier about one symbol of a covenant is a marriage, uh, and, and this wedding band that I have is that symbol of that. And every time I, I look down and I see it or mess around with it, I'm reminded of my love, my commitment to Connie. This ring is a symbol of my covenant with her. Another symbol of our covenant with God is the rainbow in the sky. God said that a rainbow would be the sign to remind us that never again would God destroy the earth through water. The rainbow is a symbol of God's covenant with us. And now we're about to celebrate Holy Communion. The communion elements are also symbols of the commitment that Jesus has made with us. And when we receive the elements, this is a physical symbol of the commitment that we are making with Jesus Christ. So this isn't just a casual thing we do the first Sunday of every month. But it's an important symbol 
It's when we remember what Jesus has done for us, when we realize the symbolism of what it is. You know, there's a slide that's up here now that says, do this in remembrance of me. Sometimes it's on the front of altars. It's in the liturgy when you read in the Bible about the first Holy Communion that Christ instituted. And you remember those words that they took the bread during the Passover Seder meal and and Jesus gave thanks to God. And then he broke the bread apart. And then he added these new words. He said, this is my body, he said, broken for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. To remember that sacrifice that Christ has made. See, that commitment that he has with you, that he was willing to give his very life, that you might have new life. And then later he came to the cup. And again, he lifted up the cup and he gave thanks to God. And then he gave this to his friends, the disciples. And he said, drink from this, all of you. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. There's that covenant word again. The new covenant is that you have new life in Jesus Christ, that your past is the past. I like to tell folks that when we are forgiven, it's as if we take our sins, our past, and God throws it into the deepest part of the ocean, and he never goes fishing there again. And that's what this blood represents. And each time that we drink it, we're to do this in remembrance of him. In just a moment, we're going to have you take your elements and partake in this. But before we do, I'm just going to ask that we have a short prayer. And we're going to conclude that prayer with the Lord's Prayer. So if you would, let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your sacrifice that you've made for us. The body that was broken so that we would not have to pay the penalty for our sins. We thank you, Lord, and remember the sacrifice you made, the blood that you gave up that would give us newness of life. Lord, as we take our communion elements today, we not only remember these acts, but we make our own commitment to you. For some, it's a renewal of our commitment. We made our first commitment many, many years ago, but things have happened. Life has just gotten in the way, and we're just not as committed as we once were. So Lord, help us too to be all in with you. And for those that have never made this commitment, Lord, we, we know that we are sinners. We know that what we've done is wrong, and we just ask your forgiveness, Lord, to forgive us of our sin. We give our lives to you in the same way that Jesus gave his life for us. And Lord, let us not just remember those acts of Jesus Christ, but also remember the words that he taught his disciples to pray and all of us to pray when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
you take your little, I call it a condiment cup, but take your little plastic cup and open it up. And inside you have two things. You have some, a cup of wine, and at the bottom of it is a little hard piece of bread. It reminds me when I was a kid, we had these, and I used to take it and it never tasted like bread to me, so I always, always had it just stick in my mouth. So if you want the real thing, the real deal, take out the real piece of bread that's in there, and we'll look at this bread, and, and before you take it, just try to think back and thank God for his sacrifice for us. This represents the brokenness of the bread. Let us lift this up now and take up the body of Christ. And then gently peel back, be careful you don't spill, peel back the cup. You don't have to take it all the way off, just most of the way. And again, we remember the blood of Christ that was shed for us to give us newness of life. Take and drink and see, taste the goodness of God. Now let us stand as we sing our communion song.